You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and this is a special series called The Swamp Explained. One of my favorites. We haven't done it in a long time. Uh, we'll we'll chit-chat about that in a second. My co-host is Rob Cortell, a 45-year fly on the wall in Washington, D.C. Rob has worked for Republican presidential campaigns, government agencies like the EPA, and has been confirmed by the Senate to the U.S. Federal Maritime Commission. He's also been a candidate for Congress and Senate and has spent years working in the private technology sector with startup companies. Now, given his experience and iconoclastic viewpoints, Rob always gives us a great insight into the swamp and our nation's capital. You know, I I always find it funny. People always ask when you're going to have a swamp episode, because I would think for like a largely libertarian audience, a guy who's on the Council for Foreign Relations and you know, hangs out at all these fancy DC places. I get the most hate mail about you, but you're the fan <laughs> favorite. People love hearing all that you uh, bring to the table, all the insight that you bring. I do too. I find it fascinating. You know, if you're you're new to this series, there's a separate feed, The Swamp Explained. You can go check out the past episodes and, and uh, you know, Rob's stories about George H.W. Bush and, you know, Nixon and working for the EPA. It's all fascinating stuff. Rob and uh, yeah, it's 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 always interesting because I'm, I'm always like, when is the Council of Foreign Relations guy going to be back? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Of course, I, you know, I I haven't been to a physical meeting of the Council of Foreign Relations in well three years, right? Right. A lot. It's all starting to come back, and then of course now we have what is it BA five or something? The the next version of COVID. So, oh, yeah. monkeypox. Monkey, well, we already too. on something else. Monkeypox too is already what. Up to about 500 cases now. It was 300 uh, last week or so, and I'm sure it's up. Well, I, I mean, we haven't done a show in probably six months. We haven't talked about Ukraine or the Gen oh, 6 man. Commission or all this stuff. We've got so many things. I, let's start with Ukraine. We didn't talk about this beforehand, yeah. right. but I'd love to hear you know some of your thoughts on that. We're just going to do a little roundtable of what does Rob think about this headline. I think that's how we're going to handle this show. So, yeah, well, well, Ukraine is, well, first of all, I mean, we all know what we think. Most of us think about Russia, except for a very small minority of my party, which, you know, as Ronald Reagan used to say, he had been a Democrat and the party left him. And I, I, I haven't conceded to become a Democrat, but I will say a lot of the party has left me. Um, and, and of course, you know, I call them the rhinos, the the, the new crowd. But but uh, so there's a weird everyone, a weird Putin love in the yes, Libertarian it, it or Republican so parties. Bizarre. But um, no, I, I, and I in general, I would say Biden, who's I'm not a fa- huge fan of, obviously, but I think he's done a, a very good job of rallying the um, the allies and the, the troops and the movement and all of that. I and I think the Congress has responded pretty well, except for a few of the nuts. Uh, but I will say I do think everything is a is, what do you call it? A, a day late and a dollar short. So. Um, it, it's pretty clear that no one expected um, them to survive. Putin clearly expected Zelensky to flee, and he did not. Um, that, that's a, uh, I think people know we've underestimated him. Of course, they forget he's, I think he's, I think he's a lawyer and a producer and a writer, and his wife is uh, similarly situated. So it's a very smart power couple. And just because he's a comedian, you know, people deride that, but he obviously. Um, he's picked up the baton, and and, um, and and I believe we should give them everything necessary to push the Russians out. I, I I hope we are helping them on tactics and strategy, and I'm sure we are. And our uh, we now have uh, advanced uh, uh, long range systems to to uh, combat their their uh, their firepower. I I'm at this stage think the Ukrainians should be lobbing attacks into Russia itself. Yeah, it know. sounds like uh, Do- Donbass and Luhansk. Russia keeps yeah. declaring victory. It's it's getting... I mean, that's where the fight always was. It just sort of expanded out to Ukraine for a little bit. I mean, where's your line in terms of American support and drawing us into a quagmire? Um, I Well, you know, it's a pretense right now. We're already deeply involved in it, and I think... Um, I, I have I can't tell you uh, how I know these people, but I have friends in the uh, 
German uh, elite units, and I have friends in American elite units, and and they are all working behind the scenes to um, train and help, and no doubt many of them are actually in country in Ukraine. Um, and uh, we have friends in the economic side of everything, too, doing similar things. So I think the reality is we're crawling all over the place, as are the Europeans. So we're in the war. It's it's just a pretense. And I think I, I will say the biggest mistake I think has been made on our side was when Biden early on, I, I remember the news conference and someone asked why we had a no fly zone. And he said, because that will cause nuclear war. And he just that. And, and I'm thinking this is really this is an invitation to go because um, I, I don't think we should be afraid of his using tactical nukes, which I still think he will eventually. Um, but but the, this will cause nuclear war is an interesting insight into a generation of political leadership that all these guys over 50 um, remember mutual mutual assured destruction mad and I, I you probably studied it in school but sure yeah the concept of hiding under your desk and the rockets will fire yeah, but and- it was always that you, you had to be if the fear it was a fear-based probabilistic theory that Graham Allison and others who were big proponents of it at Harvard and it was that you know everybody knew you couldn't be the first one to do it because they just your whole country would be destroyed by the so you basically be destroying countries all at the same time. Um, and um, and I, I remember when Ronald Reagan said, why don't we have a, new, a shield? And, of course, everybody derides the shield and meaning something to shoot them out of the sky. Yeah, well, Star Wars. Was it? Yeah, Star Wars. But it is. And it's taken 20, 30, almost 40 years. And actually think about Iron Dome in, in Israel. And um, and now the Ukrainians are able to shoot some of these guys out and we can do some of this, too. So it's uh, so. That's probably so, so mutual assured destruction died about 30, 35 years ago. Um, and so and part of that is because nuclear uh, rockets and bombs all now have degrees of finesse. So you can dial a warhead down to about one one hundredth of what the Nagasaki bomb was, which is I think that one of the others was one megaton. So that's a tactical nuke and you dial it. So it's either high radiation or high blast. And uh, so so they are part of the tactical armaments. And in the Russian military philosophy, theirs is go first and ours is go last. So I think Biden basically gave him an invitation. But I believe it's more of an insight, as I say, into a generation of political leaders who grew up, as I did in the 50s and 60s, on, on mutual assured destruction, mad. And, and we are not in that situation anymore. Um, I, I think the best book on that is uh, James Stavridis. Uh, Admiral Stavridis wrote a book. Uh, I've forgotten the title of it, but it's it's about exactly that event. So, you know, one side, the Chinese or somebody lobs a missile and it destroys the city. And so now we have to think about lobbing one back, which we do. And then they think about another. And, and it. it has an escalatory aspect from space and all of these things. So it's very real feeling. And, uh, and that in my mind is probably the best description of what that would be like, but key points. Um, I, I think we should be doing everything to push them out. I think we've been, as I say, uh, uh, a day late and a dollar short. We, we can continue to see if they can deploy what they got. So it's always a little bit on the edge, not quite enough to push the Russians out. Um, we're, we're, we're in fact, we're fully in there, which is always our, our MO. It seems like there's you, you either act quickly and decisively with moral clarity or you don't act at all. But the, these half measures of we'll wait until people aren't paying attention and then give them a billion dollars before it's too late. And now it's a Syrian situation is just crazy to me. It just ne- yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like be, be bold one way or the other. It's different from Syria and that the party is actually. You know, we have one party that's well armed and, and trained, and the Ukrainians have been training with the West for some number of years. So it's it, since uh, 2014. You know, the Crimean deal. We really integrated a lot of our capabilities in terms of manpower and training, and and of course, you can see a lot of that early on in the Russian things. There's a terrific website. I don't know if you watch it, uh, read it. It's called Institute uh, for the Study of War, ISW, um, and it's really good. And they are group of 
you know, military analysts and political guys, and they seem to have very good um, open source uh, in, information, and they're very good at um, deducing tactics and strategy, and and, um, and 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 you know, they they look they have recently looked at a lot of the activities in the towards the Donetsk and everything else, and they're of the view that the Ukrainians have been very good strategically and the right tactical things they pull back when they need to and 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 uh, and frankly i wouldn't be surprised if the ukrainians go on, go on a full bore um, assault you ha, have you i mean you're from a generation where the russians are big and scary i mean is it sort of uh like uh what's going on when they went in and just stalled out completely you know uh, i don't know if i'm from a generation where they're big and scary um i think i think americans have always thought of them as as uh it's uh, clumsy and, and scary for that reason. You know, unsophisticated, um, uh, bearish kind of uh, country leadership. And, of course, we all, in the technology industry, we all work with Russians and Ukrainians and all of these guys over there, and they're brilliant. And that's, you know, the impact long-term on Russia is not great. They they will, they've already, they, were, they had lost, I think, a half a million, roughly, high-skilled tech workers in the five years before all this, and they lost 300,000-plus in the first month and a half or two, and they continued to leave. And uh, and they're being now paid out of Western bank accounts uh, in Western cities and, uh, you know, European and East European cities and all that. Uh, so so a huge brain drain. But uh, we have a close friend uh, here who uh, uh, ran a significant tech incubator and also involved with um, a significant political effort from uh, Emma Bloomberg, daughter of, and and, uh, and his wife is Russian and just delightful and a decision analyst and came over in 18 or 19. And, and she says that, uh, you know, you can, you can talk to older people in Russia on the phone, not her parent, her father, he, 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 he uh, knows full well, but, and her friends will talk, from Ukraine and call their parents and say they're raining. You guys are raining bombs on us, and their parents will say, "No, it's the Ukrainians doing it to Ukrainians." So this disinformation machine is massive. It it, uh, it felt eerily similar watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and she made the point that she's made the point to us that you should um, not believe everything we're told either. But you know the difference is we all have many more sources of information. And, and many more sources of disinformation, too. So we yeah. Can, <laughs> well, well uh, you know, let's talk about Joe Biden next uh, and yeah. move on to his performance. I think he had a real opportunity, and we may have talked about this, to come in and be sort of a Bill Clinton centrist and uh, be a uniter in some ways, as much as a politician can be. And I guess he thought he was going to be FDR. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I I'm seeing open warfare basically on the guy now, like where the de- the Democrats are s- sounding like Republicans going, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have any plans for anything. We've got to dump him. I mean, well, what what, what do you hear about any plans for anything? Right. Party. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, fundraising emails. Yeah, right. Well, boy, you should see some of the emails I get from from my my side of the aisle. It's just it's scary and a quite a real turnoff if you're, you know, not part of that political point of view but um i i think that um in some ways he's been dealt a pretty bad hand um i think he's made some pretty clumsy mistakes i, I think anybody coming into the presidency thinks they know it all after 30 or 40 years and of course you don't uh, you know every president after they get out of there except trump will say that you know it's a learning experience and um uh, and i think you're right exactly right i think he overreached and he um, and partly because uh, I think he felt like he had, he had, he certainly had a, 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 a vote mandate in terms of the eight or nine million, you know, more than Trump. Allegedly. Um, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But, um, but the reality is, um, you know, a lot of those people were voting against Trump, not necessarily for Biden. And, but, you know, as a politician, one of the things you were taught from the beginning is that, you want to seize the victory as if it's a mandate, whether it is or not. And then your job is to turn it into a mandate. And, and I, he clearly hasn't. Um, uh, but I, I do think uh, he, it's a bad hand. 
you know, you have the, the Ukrainian war, and we know that affects oil prices, which affects gas prices, which affects everything else. And then the, the Russians and the food, and that's a problem. And and we have people who don't want to help, the, you know, our supposed a neutral ally, India, uh, and the Chinese are cozied up, taking advantage of it all. They're opportunists, which I suppose if you were those societies, you would want to be. Uh, and uh, But I, I haven't seen today's job report, but I think things are slowing. And uh, it, it is likely to be a bloodbath uh, for the Democrats, I think, because of this. And, and of course, he, you know, he is, what is he, 70? 78 or something he's almost 80 yeah i mean i don't i don't know how he runs again but if he doesn't run again it becomes a bloodbath for that nomination it certainly is not going to be kamala no (laughs) so i don't know i don't know that they have any choice but to run him again and i just don't think he has a campaign in him he didn't really have a campaign in him last time yeah well remember he he ran the last time because he felt there wasn't anybody who could beat trump and you and I, on one of our shows, I said, and you agreed, that the only guy who could beat Trump was going to be Biden. Yeah. That was before they, he really jumped in. And I think we were correct about that. Um, uh, because he does feel, he did feel safe. And um, it reminded me at the time, I, I told, uh, I can't remember who, oh, it was one of my pollster friends on the Democrat side, what you should be thinking about is the Warren G. Harding slogan, which is a return to normalcy. I think it was yeah. Harding. And after Coolidge, or it may have been Coolidge, you know, but one of those two returned to normalcy. And that's really what people want. And and then, of course, COVID hasn't gone away and we can't make it go away. We can't wish it away. Um, I think they've made some mistakes again uh, on further rollouts of vaccines. You know, I, I do think that he, he, like Trump, has been unable to deal with the CDC or FDA and get them to modernize. Um, and they're still in reactive mode um, based on what happened 15, 20 years ago when they rolled up some drugs, that the vaccines that backfired. And so, um, but these are not normal times. You know, we're living one of those periods. What do the Chinese say? Uh, you know, May you live in interesting times, but I've got right. to tell you, I'm, but it's I'm a done curse, with it. Right? Yeah. It's a curse. Right. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like since 2007, I said this recently on a show, like, Reagan was asking what it was like before. Like, I, I, it's hard to explain to somebody pre-social media what politics was like. It just somebody put a brick on the accelerator in '07, and it's never lifted up. No, you, know, you wake right. up this morning, and the ja- uh, you know the longest-serving Japanese prime minister Abe has been assassinated in a country yeah, where it's quite- very difficult to find guns. Uh, you know, well, we know that's going to play to the anti-gun crowd, the pro-gun crowd. They're going to say, look at Japan, where it's almost impossible to get a gun, where you have to go for a full day's training and, and licensing and periodic checks of your guns and weapons. And, and, and this guy made his own gun, apparently. At least that's what it looked like this morning on it, too. Mm. Uh, and so I and, and actually, you know, ba- back to Biden for a minute. This is an area where I know he hoped to get a little bump just from the gun legislation. But, you know, it was so relatively trivial. I, it have some effect, but... Um, but uh, there's no bump anywhere. I guess you could argue there's no de- there's no negative. Um, uh, that but, same with infrastructure. I mean, he he just yeah. every time he thinks he's got to win, something else in the news cycle kind of steals it. Yeah, I think that's right. And well, and, and you know that of course brings me to Buttigieg and and others who who could pick up the mantle and be um, you know you know enliven the the debate and and also who's intellectually potentially capable and um and i I would tell you i uh, he's the guy handing out the money and he's the guy traveling all around the country to cut the ribbon and so if any benefit from the infrastructure bill is coming to anyone it's to be Buttigieg. And it sort of seems like they are favoring him and he's sort of like the de facto vice president in terms of, you know, you maybe not Dan Quayle or Joe Biden, but or Dick Cheney. But, you know, back in the old days, you were vice president. You were kind of like next in line. And the president, some presidents would help you out in that respect. Um, yeah, well, but, before that, though, before about to, uh, Harry Truman, it was, uh, as he used to say, it wasn't worth a bucket of warm spit. <laughs> right. So, because you only a handful of vice presidents really followed the president to become president, 
that, that was the early days of the Republic. And then the big swath of the middle, you know, it's very seldom true, except by assassination. And, do, do you have any insight why this guy, I, I saw that, I mean, I just don't know anything about Japanese. I'm sure it's like Boris, where he's the Japanese Trump, so everybody hated him. That's usually the American political analysis is Boris was Trump, so they didn't like him, which is not true. Um, so I'm I'm looking for any kind of insight on why this prime minister, former prime minister, no less, was assassinated. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, the the one thing I saw this morning, and it's just the thread, and I you know I saw it when I got up at five thirty and saw the news, and I have this, I haven't had a lot of time to follow a lot of news in the last week because my five year old granddaughter and my one year old grandson and my my daughter and son in law and my son from Australia and house guests from all over the place have been over and I'm the cook. So <laughs> three meals a day for anywhere from eight to 18. But um, so I've been canceling meetings all week long. But um, uh, the, the, what I did find interesting this morning is that uh, the last uh, uh, gun crimes in Japan, the last four or five, um, a large, um, most of those were, uh, apparently there's one, Union, a maritime union or workers or something, employees who carry guns and are allowed to carry guns. And he was a member of this group, this guy. Um, and it's a legal, lawful law enforcement union, something or other. Um, and they all have weapons. It looks, looked like he cobbled together a weapon. Um, although, you know, if you see it visually, he was struck from the front, they said, but the smoke was behind him. His back was turned. And um, so I'm sure a lot more is going to come out of that. But he was politically disaffected. And, you know, as you as you say, a lot of people hated Abe, but his popularity, his his uh, polling numbers apparently soared after he resigned. Hmm. Uh, Apparently for he he said it was reasons of health, but everybody knows it was politics and he was campaigning to get back. So um, and he 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 was a guy who also was beset by circumstances. You know, he wanted to be the guy who remade the Japanese economy into a power again. And he did a number of things like uh, had the constitution revised from the world war two aftermath where, you know, they were, they essentially had no uh, army or anything like that. So he brought back some national military. He, um, but he also suffered from the, uh, the reactor breakdown and one of the worst typhoons and flooding in history. And, um, a number of things like that. So th- there is something between Biden and Trump esque about him. Um, and, and, and of course he also was a, a nationalist in, or Patriot, I guess you would call it. So he offended a lot of people, particularly the Chinese when he, he, uh, you know, celebrated at various memorials, World War II memorials and things like that. So it, it, definitely an interesting guy, and definitely this is going to have quite an impact there. And, and then and then we have Boris. Jeez. Yeah, uh, bad. I'm all for consequences for politicians. Abe, bad. <laughs> bad. Boris, good, right? Like, it, Boris held some parties during COVID, and it led to him getting kicked out eventually. Like, America, you can basically try to overturn an election and stay in, in the presidency and face no charges or be Gavin Newsom and go to the French laundry and face no consequences. Like <laughs> what did the British have that we need to reinstill here? But yeah, Boris Johnson is resigning as PM much to his dismay. Yeah. Uh, and but he's probably maneuvering too, you know? Yeah. So he, so. he basically said he didn't know anything about one of his cabinets, um, sexual offenses. I think there was sexual impropriety. Guy, yeah. He was charged that two young guys said he had yeah. sort of sexually attacked him. And uh, and yeah, supposedly he didn't know that. Well, give me a break. Right. Somebody doesn't come tell the boss what the underlings are doing. Okay, well, and that or you don't read the newspaper. Right. And so the British have no scruples about investigating these things uh, if there's a good scandal. And Boris, he gets called the American Trump, but he seems incredibly intelligent. But he is a little narcissistic and sort of never really navigated some of this stuff. But. I am amazed by Britain's society's ability to actually hold their politicians accountable and kick them out. I mean, is that the parliamentary system? I mean, what what's your take on some of this? Well, I, I think that um, I think that the difference between the British parliamentary system and ours is that 
if, if all of the all of the cabinet officers and government officials come out of the parliament itself, so they have each and their own independent constituency. So you can never imagine a cabinet resigning in the United States, uh, although in fact that has happened periodically. You know, Elliot Richardson and others resigned under Nixon, and and um, and I think one of Jimmy Carter's, I think a secretary, so one of the secretaries of state in one of those administrations resigned over a matter of conscience and. Um, but quietly. And then, um, and of course, no one in, in Trump's cabinet resigned until after January 6th. They, so they didn't resign because of all the other stuff. He clearly did. I mean, you know, Elaine Chow, who's a friend, didn't resign until the next day. And and uh, the other two or three, and and they sort of semi went quietly into the night. Bill um, Barr's, whereas, re- Bill Barr's yeah, rehab tour is hilarious. Right. Whereas, the all, you know, at, at least two of the cabinet people who resigned are candidates to be prime minister. So so they so they are back into the maelstrom and how do you protect your left flank before someone else choose choose something off? So I think that that's a benefit to that system, although it, uh, it, it's hard to imagine. Someone said that uh, this morning was quoted in Britain that, that Johnson uh, wasn't crazy or anything else. He was he was revolutionary and he just wanted to be in constantly changing and and you know, confronting and and all, and that's the style. And I I think that's true. But he always the difference is he always had something to say to replace what was there before. You may or may not. I like Brexit. I did not like Brexit. It was stupid for the Brits, but I understand where it comes from. And you can make a case. And um, and he did. And he had something in mind. But he was not very good at execution. You know, he he kick the can down the way on the Irish uh, border question. And, and that's really problematic and, and causing a lot of issues with Britain and the EU and trade. And, but, um, but at least he had something in mind when he did it, whereas Trump just pure destruction and, and nothing in his place. And, and, and unlike um, Johnson, Trump never, he, he failed to appoint something like a quarter of or to a third of the people in the government. So he had no one who was a loyalist to, execute very few who knew what they were doing uh, I mean, people like Scalia uh, his labor secretary is one of the few and, and Elaine Chow and a few others they knew what they were doing but half of their positions underneath them weren't filled yeah just couldn't do it and he I, didn't trust I heard David Frum say uh, Trump will run again and he's expected to announce this summer that he's running again in 2024 and you can't let him win because this time the velociraptors will know how to unlock the doors and they yeah, won't have they won't have, uh, you know, the all the various people, not not even the Mike Pence's, but like the Frank Ma- the uh, Mad Dog Mattises of the world who kind of frustrated Trump's efforts. This time it'll be all pure loyalists. The book Betrayal kind of talks a lot about the um, the guy that he hired at the end, his personal bodyguard or body man. Oh, yeah. I mean, to to be the investigate everybody who are you loyal or not i mean what are the chances of trump running and winning the nomination and being president in 2024 what do you think yeah i you know i was thinking about that and i um i actually don't know how he will go i think if he's going to run he would be smart to do it sooner rather than later or at least the pundits think that um there's an argument that he should stay out a little bit longer um, to to keep people guessing and give them less time to organize. But I think if he doesn't announce by this election cycle, he's by the end of it, by by uh, November, he will find that these guys are just going to organize. And I think they'll out-organize. Although, you know, I go to my local Republican committee here, and it, it is, uh, it, I, I would say, about a third are not loyalists to Trump, um, but they are drowned out by the other two thirds, um, and the third that is, that are that understand the damage and everything else are older. Um, uh, of course, they represent a bigger part of the population's voting, you know, group, and they'd be tired of it. Interesting. Uh, so it's the boomers who are more skeptical of Trump instead of embracing. No, no, no. It's yeah, yeah, the boomers. Yes, it is the boomers. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I would have assumed yeah. this was like the, you know, the old lady at the Republican convention with the red, white, and blue cowboy hat type people. Yeah. Those are the Trump fans, but apparently not. Well, it's an unscientific 
thing. And, and it's because here in my county, people don't, people, other than people like me, who one says, well, what did you think of Trump? And I'll say, I think he's a jackass and, and, and a miserable president. Um, he didn't appoint enough people to run the government and he did everything by executive order. So everything he did that you like has been undone by the guys after him. Um, and, and then, you know, people kind of stand back and that, and, and, and if they dare to say, I'm a rhino, I point out that I handed out I like Ike buttons in first grade <laughs> and worked for the Republican presidents and several campaigns and ran myself, given hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so who's a rhino here? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, but most people will not, uh, in these meetings, will not take a stand, you know, mm. but privately they'll send you an email or, you know, have a gathering and talk about it and what can they do it's just amazing the lack of courage from Republicans. It, it is. It is. Um, I think there's a lack of courage among everybody politically. You know, I, I, it's e- except for it's easy for an AOC or somebody like that because they, um, uh, you know, they've got their own following on um, everything from TikTok to whatever. And um, and I think I do continue to think she's clever, although she she has declined her her media presence has declined in the general media since she hasn't had Trump to play off of. Yeah. Do you think the media will resist the urge to give him as much free airtime as they did in 2016 or 2020, or will they, will they just pretend that he's not there because they can't see the tweets anymore? Well, ask yourself, um, have you seen any decline in coverage of his latest Twitch or think about the Democrats running the hearings? You know, I think these, I haven't, I've stopped watching. So I, I haven't watched any of them. I, just, <laughs> I haven't watched the Jan Six stuff either. Yeah, um, I I'm should. But no, I, I just I, you know I think the Democrats made huge mistakes by doing two impeachments because they knew it wasn't going to happen and they knew it would be viewed as partisan and it was, you know, at least sixty percent partisan. And I and you know it's great that I, I love watching Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and particularly Liz Cheney. You know these things that. She's absolutely bores right in, but I think the odds are she'll be gone. You know, my wife and I co-sponsored with a lot of much more prominent people in D.C. a fundraiser for that raised like three quarters of a million to a million in one night. And but it was all the same crowd, people who were friends of ours from you know Bush and Ford and, and Reagan administrations way way back, and some Democrats. So I just I think unless you can get the Democrats to cross over, which uh, which is what uh, 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 your buddy Evan McMullen is doing with some success uh, in his race uh, for Senate. And so we'll see what happens there, too. Um, and, and you know, periodically you hear uh, noises about a third party. I continue to think that's very difficult to do. Uh, if, if I were going to form a third party, I'd call it the Independence Party. Not independence, but independence. Yeah, um, and grab that line and and just be anybody who doesn't want to be a Republican or Democrat that can be in there. And and the party platform is civility and open debate. <laughs> and so that would be really interesting. Do you think it's more likely that he gets indicted by the January sixth commission or that no. he wins the nomination? I think it's more likely that he gets indicted by the Georgia grand jury, which is the best one I've seen, hmm. which is operating uh, kind of sub Rosa and they're doing their thing. Although the Georgia legislature is taking up legislation to prevent them from doing it. Um, and people should be more outraged about that is what, and um, because that's that, that um, uh, County and the prosecutor there is doing the work of, of going after stuff that would be breaking state law, which is when he went in and asked, for 10,200, whatever. <laughs> he literally was. did what he accused Biden of doing. It was hilarious. Okay. Totally. And, and I think that it's possible that, um, that, uh, it'd be interesting. Maybe Kemp would, uh, veto or somebody would veto anything the legislature came with because of what Trump has done to them. Yeah. So, so if one hopes to see Trump indicted and convicted of something, <clears throat> um, I think the best hope is the, Georgia uh, effort. I guess I don't know any hardcore Trump fans, except for like a couple people maybe on my page, but you know, there's a lot of Mitch Daniels Republicans, but I know a lot of Mike Pence Republicans. I know a lot of, you know, even QAnon Republicans, and they're not, 
Well, the they never liked Trump anyways. The Pence people are all religious, so they never were crazy about Trump. The, the, the Mitch Daniels Republicans, the Mike Pence Republicans, and even just your grassroots, I listen to talk radio type Republican, all saw Trump as a means to an end, yeah, which was Roe v. Wade. religious ones. Right. And never... And they are as tired of the BS as anybody, but they, they want to punish the left. They want to protect themselves from the left and these broader narratives. But they're all willing to toss Trump out. You've seen Alex Jones even say it. Like, you know, Joe Rogan's like, I don't want to help him. I don't want him on my yeah. podcast. I think anybody with a brain looks at T- Donald Trump and knows this person shouldn't be in power, shouldn't have access to power. Even if you are, even if you want to dismiss January 6th, in your heart of hearts, you know that they're the critics like Liz Cheney are right. You know, yeah. like I just I, even the most ardent conspiracy theorists, libertarians who are like, oh, January 6th was no big deal. They'll privately kind of tell you, yeah, but that that was a bit far. So I just can't imagine that Donald Trump, he, he served his purpose and the, he does have a cult like following. But once you get to the primaries, I mean, he his strength in these Georgia primaries with people like Kemp and Rath- Rathensberger, like yeah. he, he had no effect on those races. And so you start to see across the nation and, and Virginia and your governor's race with Yunkin, like you start to see that he doesn't really have the teeth. He's sort of like Russia. Everybody's sort of scared with of Russia until they invade and run out of gas. Um, so the guy that I think Democrats should be, you know, worried about is Ron DeSantis. And I think no, just I as, a, as a country, I mean, Ron DeSantis is right, very right on some things and very wrong on a lot of other things and very yeah. willing. He's a Republican progressive. He's willing to use the state to force other people to live his vision of government. Yeah, and um, he's not, not a conservative. He's not he's not a conservative in that he's conserving the natural rights tradition of the Constitution. He's a progressive. Yeah. Uh even if culturally he feels right to a lot of those of us on the right. Well, so I had a funny, you know, I've been saying for six months that DeSantis is the next president. And, and my bet would be Nikki Haley, probably, although she's too pretty close. She's a Southerner also, although he doesn't act like a Southerner, um, um, would be the VP. But um, I, was, I was at an event at Yale um, my graduate school about three weeks ago and a friend of mine from who's about 15 years younger and, and has been very active in politics and successful in that community and I won't give too many hints more than that because I predict identity but he's a liberal democrat and he comes up and says Rob DeSantis is the next president and I'm thinking whoa you know a liberal democrat is telling me that too and I said and what do you think about that and he said well it could be a lot worse he said you know this is a guy who read 90 medical reports about COVID and then applied XYZ theory of probability on outcomes and he won. And, and, you know, I've forgotten what probability theory it was, but it was something we all learned in business school. And, um, and I think that's true. I do not like him because he also is a big, basic ass um, and <laughs> picks these fights. And, but, you know, many of these fights have two sides. Um, the, um, the one that, uh, uh, uh over Disney, now, remember I grew up in Orlando, yeah, uh, and uh, I remember the day Disney was announced. I probably had the headlines stuck in a box somewhere here, um, and it, the deal with the state that that, uh, that Walt and Roy Disney struck was that they would get a tax. They would have their own district, so they could raise their own taxes. They they'd be a municipality. They would charge municipal services, so and so and so forth. And everybody was happy about that because it was, what, 40,000 jobs or something coming in and, and development and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars and other, other kinds of tax revenues and restaurants and so forth. And, um, and it was unique in its size, although there are another half dozen similar ventures, uh, similarly situated uh, ventures, commercial ventures in Florida. So one could say, in terms of good government, is this a good thing to be doing, or should uh, they be part of a local thing, or is it their own private property, and should they have to go through local zoning, this and that? So I think there's a, a reasonable debate. It's just that well, he it's tied just a it billion as, dollar oh, tax increase, basically, on local citizens. Where oh, you're, absolutely, but, you know, and that's and, just to, well. He to, has said that will not happen. He has said that the state will take care of that. 
but he is not that has not happened yet. Right. And there's time before this goes into effect, but they will have to pick up the bonds. And I'm sure he'll figure out some way to do it. He's smart. You know, it's the guy who's Yale undergrad, Harvard Law School. He's smart enough to pick up the phone and call one of his friends from Goldman Sachs to work it out. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and, the thing. It's it's yeah. the constant tinkering. Yeah. It's, it's anti-Hayekian, which is why I'm opposed to it. Uh, we lost Rob here. Uh, let's take a quick break here on the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you for joining us. Rob will be right back. He must have accidentally uh, hit the button here. Um, so stay tuned here on the Chris Spangle Show. We're going to finish talking about uh, we're going to talk about abortion. Be right back. Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. We've got Rob. He must have, uh, what'd you do, accidentally hit the button there? And uh, I had the feeling my power went off for a minute. Ah, uh, yeah, I've been having that too. We've been having a lot of blinks. Um, but yeah, to finish our DeSantis conversation, yeah. I mean, he, he feels right because in the same way that Trump didn't accept, I won't accept your narrative, I'm going to create my own, and now you have to respond to me, feels so good to conservatives after so long because they... The Daily Wire is more powerful than the New York Times in a lot yeah, of ways. And, yeah. you know, the idea that somehow the mainstream media still has the same power that it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, Human Events was the first conservative magazine and was, you know, complaining about the media in the 40s. Like, this is the long-standing gripe from, from the right, but they've built their own escape hatches, but... DeSantis, that that still ticks. That still like feels right. That he he punches the right people in the face and makes them cry, well, and that is so much more so much more powerful to people on yeah. the right now than any kind of ideology. Well, and it's an appeal to populism and all that, you know. And and I do I, I will say I do think it's smart that Biden does not frequently attack Trump or even acknowledge that he's around. I do think that the decibel level has 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 modulated a little bit, still way too high, but I think the peaks have modulated and, and that's a good thing. And, and people like DeSantis start to feel like they're pushing the peaks up again, but he, he's a smart guy. And, and I, um, you know, I don't see, I sure as hell wouldn't want to see, uh, what's his name? Ted Cruz, who, who's as nasty as they come. And one would hope that somebody like DeSantis, if he wins would, would actually do what Trump said he would do when he became president, which is he'll be presidential, <laughs> no. which he could never quite reach. No, no, <laughs> so, no don't fall for it. Absolutely, I haven't fallen for it. <laughs> so. Well, in your in your long political career, did you ever think seriously that Roe v. Wade would be overturned? Well, it, you know, I it did it does not surprise me, and it does not surprise me that three justices lied in their hearings. Um, what if they really wanted to do something, seriously wanted to do something, the Democrats should in the House should move to impeach um, the three Trump justices um, for lying. And and they don't even really have what, to what benefit would that serve, though? Well, I think it would ex- accentuate the politicization of of the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's politicized. And I know you're you're pro-life and I'm pro-choice, which doesn't mean I'm not pro-life. Um, it just means that I, I believe that in privacy and that those decisions should be made not by anyone, but a woman and the doctor. And so um, for me, Roe v. Wade was hands off. The states keep your hands off um, until some reasonable time. And um, and and I do think the Clarence Thomas thing was a real threat. Uh, and and no, oh, by the way, I I think their reasoning in uh, Alito's reasoning was every bit as specious as he he viewed Roe v. Wade, which was, uh, you know, he said because it wasn't enumerated basically and wasn't in our history. And of course, he picked picked and chose which pieces of history he wanted to acknowledge. Um, therefore, it wasn't a right. Whereas some you could reasonably argue because, as the Fourteenth Amendment says, if it's not enumerated in there, it doesn't mean it doesn't. It's not a right. Uh, oh, maybe that was the yeah Fourteenth. I think it's the Fourteenth. I need to read a good book on the Fourteenth Amendment. It gets yeah, brought up but, so much, and I don't know that I've the read. The whole point is, if if it's not specified, it doesn't mean it's not a right. And 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 privacy is not specified, but but it can be a right because most Americans. I mean, this whole country was was built on the notion of personal freedom. And, and privacy, 
from the beginning, people were escaping, you know, intrusion and government uh, in every aspect of everything. And so it's it's ironic that we have the conserv- so-called conservatives on the court. So I think the courts become purely ideological and they're bent. These are guys who would not who are not from the mainstream of of the judicial system and they were they were recommended because they were not and pick Trump picked them because they were not so um, I mean I still to this day have a hard time I, I, I can't forgive McConnell for what he did on on uh, Merrick Garland who was both a personal friend and also even as a conservative you would want somebody who was just left of center which he was um, and, and so instead, we get these ideological shills, basically, in my opinion. And, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Well, I agree on Merrick Garland. I, I agree yeah. with you on Merrick Garland. I disagree with you on everything else, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Alito said that he felt this would end the debate. Well, that is no, no, that's not even remotely... Yeah. It's hog Because not only does it, it make it... You know, it reverses. It sends it back to the states, and every and it's state's going to come back to the Supremes, and then it's going to come back to the Supreme Court multiple times, and then yeah. it's also going. You're going to have Mike Pence, and you're going to have you know AOC fighting for national solutions in well, Congress. Well, here in Virginia, well, I was at an event with, um, you know, I I know Glenn Youngkin not incredibly well, but well enough for him to know me and me to know him, and we both are Rice graduates, and although he's 20 years younger, and and um, and you know we've had a lot of encounters. Yeah, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I, I lost your screen. Um, a lot of encounters uh, on on investment stuff and everything. And and he was he gave a uh, he was before the Northern Virginia Technology Council. And I can't give you all the detail because supposedly it's private. But you know he, he the first question he got was about abortion and and and. You know, many of the women CEOs are particularly incensed, and um, and actually, many of the male CEOs are particularly incensed. I'm incensed. Do you yeah. think that this? You know, everybody kind of on the left of the center thinks, oh, well, this is going to be the game changer. That, that there was headed for a red no. wave. Now this is the thing. No. Or will we no. just be ticked off about something new and forget about this in a month? I I just don't think it's a motivator. I you know I don't think my daughter who is turning thirty eight or nine in another week thinks anything about having had this right. She she didn't have to exercise it. Uh, she's uh, well enough off in a you know a a, 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 a corporate executive, and they all make they never would have to worry about it. If in and they're in Texas, so if Texas bans it entirely and she needed it. You just fly to, you know, someplace else. Yeah, I feel like notionally people are are want to fight for the underprivileged who don't have that privilege that she has, but they that that doesn't necessarily motivate them in the same way that when it personally affects them. No, and it offends her. And I can say to her, "How can you live in a state like Texas?" Which I love Texas, you know. But but everybody, all these young people, it's a great, it's pretty free state, you know, free except when it's oppressive, free unless you're poor. And and um, free to, to you know to die on your own, but not to make your own decisions and all these other kind of things. So it's it's kind of a it's a tough thing to, to do. And of course, Abbott's going to be reelected. You know, Beto is he just doesn't it, the state isn't structured for for someone like him to win it. And the the legislature is structured to to favor the conservative Republicans uh, and. Uh, actually, interestingly, my friend in Connecticut at New Haven pointed out that Connecticut has been for many years, too. So 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 you could almost never do anything in Connecticut. And I'm, I'm probably not doing justice to this, but the way it was structured was around cities. So cities had um, fewer. You, you So as cities, cities were given a certain number of uh, votes in the legislature and then the counties outside had a certain number. And it, and it was um, and the counties could always. The cities, as they grew, got more, and the counties didn't. And so the cities, or maybe the other way around, but in any case, one side or the other could never affect anything because they were disproportionately, um, uh, legis- you know, sled- legislated districts. And Texas has some of that too, and a lot of stuff. Yeah, we have and home rule here, where the legislature basically tells the cities what to do. So it's, it's yeah. v- virtually well, impossible. <laughs> 
what do you what do you make of the leak? I mean, is this just another sign of uh, the last branch of government institutionally declining into something that it can never recover from? Oh, the Supreme Court leak. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I yeah, look. I think the reality is every institution goes through ups and downs. Um, I think the uh, the everybody views the court as political. Uh, People on the right understand the only reason it's gone the way it did is because Trump appointed his three judges and and because they were they were who they were and they were appointed for that reason. So they get that as political and the left correctly views it as political. And, of course, it's driving John Roberts crazy because he wants to he worries about respect for the institution. Um, in a few years, Thomas will die off and a couple others will die off. And one would hope that that happened during a. Uh, a more moderate regime and the court moved back towards the center like most people in the population of the United States. You know, everybody is really falls around the center. It's, it is a bell curve. And, and, and but our institutions are not reflecting that, but it'll come back. Um, the Congress has always been disrespected, as you know from history, and Will Rogers and some of it on their own accord and other reasons they should yeah. be respected. Well, it's been disrespected since the founding of the Republic. A, li- a lack of self-respect, to be honest. That that too, and and uh, the presidency up goes up and down, and and uh, I, I think that that things that if you want to think about long-term trends, um, the, the the fight will be between continue to between the executive and everyone else. Um, I, I do think this court is probably going to push back on some of the delegation of authorities from the Congress to the executive. Um, the Congress has been asking for that, but they won't like getting it because they won't be able to to come to any decisions anytime soon about anything. Um, so I think that's so there will be some aspects of this. People will get what they wish for. And then once they have it. They won't know what to do. It's the dog chasing the car. Remember? Yeah. Does does the, does the filibuster survive? Let's say they they lose. Yeah, it will. I, it will. And I don't think they'll pack the court. Um, I just I just think there's so much institutional inertia around those things. It's just hard to do these things. Um, I, I think we're just back to fighting in the trenches. And if Democrats are smart, they're going to have people at every level of every election watching the Republicans watching them, and uh, because we know the there's a big, big move, um, a, a strategic move in the party, Republican Party, to capture a lot of the machinery of elections around the country. And I think the Democrats have figured that out too late. We just uh, nominated a guy here who's going to win because he's the Republican. His name is Diego Morales. The guy was fired for from the Secretary of State's office twice for misbehavior and has lost more times than I can count running for things. He's totally unqualified, but he's a Trumper, so he won the convention, and now he's going to end up being the Secretary of State, which is just a huge, huge disaster for for the state. Like, it's everybody's freaking out because they're like, how could the Republicans let us down? I'm like, have you been watching for a decade? Like, um, I mean, as a Ron Paul delegate, yeah, uh, fr- friend to Ron Paul delegates in 2008 and, t- and 12. Like, what y- you trust the state Republican convention? So I don't know. It's it-, it is it is dismaying to see people who believe something so blatantly false <laughs> capture so, so people so gullible um, end up in yeah. positions of power. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, it's it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how the economy goes and. And all of that. So, anyway. all right. Well, we end every episode with a recommendation. Ooh. Rob Cortell's guide to dining in D.C. Tell us where have you been eating? I know you've been eating well. Yes. Well, you know, I I don't keep an apartment there now, but I cut a deal with a hotel on the Navy Yard and get to, had to spend a certain number of days. And and um, they've been there. I took my son, the chef, up there, uh, the chef in in uh, in uh, Sydney. Australia and and anybody who's listening who goes to Sydney, make sure you stop at Tequila Mockingbird. That's his current restaurant. He's opening uh, another one. Uh, it's Argentinian in about six months. But um, there's a very very good chef, uh, 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 Enrique Lamode Amato or something. But he, I think one time I mentioned his restaurant Seven Reasons. But he has recently opened a restaurant called Imperfecto, 
uh, down at about 20, 23rd and L in the heart of downtown, which just got a Michelin star in its first year. And it, I will say it, it may be the best new restaurant I've eaten in in a long, 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 long time um, in D.C. Uh, there are a couple others that are really good. I, I tried uh, about six weeks ago, eight, two weeks ago, a place, a Spanish seafood called Morisco's. Um, 1133, it's like 11th and 1133, uh, 9th or 10th. So that puts it at about uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, K, and or maybe L. And um, and it's Mexican seafood and much less expensive than Imperfecto, which is very expensive. And, um, and then there was another really interesting one called Immigrant Food, right down in the heart of downtown Washington. Um, that during the daytime is sort of a lunch counter and everything else. And then they, at nighttime, they set it up as a full-fledged restaurant. And they do this sort of fusion of Asian and other cultures into the food. And it, it, it also is just terrific. So uh, those three, um, uh, uh, Imperfecto, high-end, Morisco's, 1133, Mexican uh, uh, seafood and, um, and immigrant food, I would say, have been absolutely not disappointed and uh if people are there and of course as i say go to sydney too (laughs) (laughs) and oh and one last thing for anybody who's got grandchildren i just uh, my my granddaughter likes uh, waffles Uh and and i was reading an article the other day and um uh they mentioned a lego waffle machine so there is a waffle uh, maker that um, you pour in all the stuff and it ha- it prints Legos, like ones, twos, and fours. And yeah, I did I it this it. morning for a six, a five, and a four-year-old, and they were just beside themselves. And then I left <laughs> some my son straggled out of bed at ten, and we left him a plate. I constructed you know a house of Legos for my 35 year old son. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I'm looking, I can share the screen here. I think yeah. it's, uh, it, it, it's a blast and it's not very expensive. No, it's yeah. You can make a little house. There you go. That's what I made. <laughs> oh, I didn't see them on the wheels. Boy, I should do that. Yeah. That, that's huh. really that's the machine. And the log the machine. cabin back here in the background there. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and now I'm going to take you back to politics for one last thing before we're done. Be very interesting. Um, one of the big announcements of Glenn Youngkin in this administration is that Lego is building its first major plant in the United States in Virginia, just outside of Richmond, Petersburg, a billion dollar investment. And I would bet you if this state restricts abortion rights, um, that they would not ever have located here. Hmm. So it's going to be very interesting to see, because I know the tech community is incensed. Um, and many of the tech community are pro, pro are, are pro life, but they're also pro choice, as you know, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean, I lived through RIFRA. Yeah, which so, I've come to find out there, North Carolina and Indiana had RIFRA bills back in the day, religious freedom <laughs> bills, and like they had a procedural mistake that meant Indiana went like four hours before North Carolina on RIFRA, which meant that they got the the wrath. And men, right. Mike Pence had to be VP because he wasn't going to get reelected as uh, as governor. So yeah, right. I mean it's, I mean, corporate community talks, and and this is one of the the big fears and why people like DeSantis taking on Disney is oh the leftist yeah. wokeists have more yeah. power and the Chamber of Commerce isn't Republican anymore. They're rhinos and well, but it does. Yeah. These things do create real problems in the business community. I, I know we want to yeah. wrap here, but I I sit on a board of a technology company. Its employees are scattered all around the United States and and Europe and the Middle East, and they have a policy written in Connecticut. And and uh, under that policy, they can't give benefits that a state forbids. So hmm. they're going to have employees who might have a benefit here and not a benefit there, ah. uh, reproductive freedom and you know all that kind of stuff. And it could go further. And so um, it's a real problem for business. It's not. There are reasons businesses get incensed about stuff like this, um, you know, and, and and I think this battle has just begun. I, I don't know that it's going to have political salience, but it's going to be in news. And and, um, and of course, the, after, you know, after the next the morning pill the next day and 
all those things. Yeah, and, I think that's where it ends up settling is is states just yeah. look the other way and don't check your mail. Which, mm-hmm. which is a huge, there's huge health risks to that. Yeah. You know, if you're... Well, but where companies are worried is if they are liable, if they pay for someone to go to another state. So, so they're aiding and abetting. And in Texas, a, a private citizen can charge them with that. Mm. So it's it's complicated and just going to get worse. So anyway. Well, that's because the government's in charge of it. <laughs> that's great. That's, so, Chris, we are ending, after all, with food for thought. <laughs> Very good. Well, Rob, it was great to catch up with you. We need to do it more often. <laughs> I know. We need to not do it every six months. We got on a yeah. good tear there a couple times, you know, yeah, twice a month. So let's, well, let's see if we can get back to it. The political season is coming. So. Yes, it'll be. And that's kind of the thing. There's not. I mean, there's been stuff to talk about, but we managed to fit it all in in an hour. Uh, yeah. But you and I really love the uh, the 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 ground game of politics and it's just sort of mercifully well, I think been you and quite... I like the ironies of the whole thing too. <laughs> uh, all right, right. Rob Cortell, thanks so much for joining me, listeners. Thank you so much for joining me here. And if you enjoyed this, if you got something out of it, then we always ask you to share with a friend. That is how podcasts grow. All right, take care, and we will talk right. to you very thanks. soon. Totally fun. Thank you. <laughs>